Education and freedom and other troubling aspects. Soul often hides in the darkest corners, in the very places we would rather avoid, and in the very problems that tempt us into disillusionment. And so we have to be intrepid when we look for it in our lives. When a couple comes to me for therapy, I usually ask one to sit quietly and listen as the other talks about her memories, her dreams, her fantasies and images of her life, and of marriage and intimacy, sex and closeness. In this way, we glimpse the soul, which is really the deep seat of relationship, and which would be ignored if we emphasized instead only the mechanics of communication and interaction. A soulmate is someone to whom we feel profoundly connected, as though the communicating and communing that takes place between us were not the product of intentional efforts, but rather a divine grace. This kind of relationship is so important to the soul that many have said there is nothing more precious in life. We may find a soul partner in many different forms of relationship, in friendship, marriage, work, play, and family. It is a rare form of intimacy, but is not limited to one person or one form. This tape is a manual for fostering many kinds of soulful relationships. First, by becoming aware of the nature of the soul, and especially its role in intimacy. And then, by discovering concrete ways in which such relationships can be tended. All of our relationships can have soul not only those that are specifically in the soulmate category. As you listen, then, think about all of your relationships, past and present. Think about family ties and alienations. Think about old loves and present affections. Think about hopes and dreams. And don't overlook the disasters and tragedies. Think about all of these in relation to your soul. Try to avoid familiar judgments about them. Above all, try to wash away some of the narcissism that makes you think more about your own success and failure rather than the large mysteries held in these tales and memories. Take up this tape not as a collection of specific suggestions, but as a guide for meditation. The only thing keeping you from deep, Satisfying, soulful relationships is your imagination. Is it rich enough? Is it too pragmatic, too modern, too plain? The more fertile your imagination about intimacy, the more likely you will be able to find this alchemical gold in your heart. The soul selects her own society, then shuts the door. To her divine majority, present no more. Unmoved, she notes the chariots, pausing at her low gate. Unmoved, an emperor be kneeling upon her mat. I've known her, from ample nation, choose one, then close the valves of her attention, like stone. Emily Dickinson when we consider the soul of a relationship, unexpected factors come into view.
In its deeper nature, for example, the soul involves itself in the stuff of this world, both people and objects. Yet, even though the soul sinks luxuriantly into its attachments, something valid and necessary takes flight when it senses deep attachment. Our ultimate goal is to find ways to embrace both attachment and resistance to attachment. As with all matters of soul, it is in honoring its impulses that we find our way best into its mysteries. By definition, the soul is attached to life in all its particulars. It prefers relatedness to distancing. From the point of view of the soul, meaningfulness and value rise directly out of experience or from the images and memories that issue modestly and immediately out of ordinary life. Dreams which have much to teach us about the nature of the soul sometimes portray our many ways of being attached to the past. A dreamer may begin telling his dream, saying, I was in the bedroom of the house where I grew up and some of my favorite dolls were gathered around me. People will sometimes say, I've tried to put this divorce behind me, but in spite of my wishes I find myself dreaming of my former husband. The soul is inclined toward the past rather than the future, toward attachment to people, places, and events, rather than detachment. It is not quick to move on. Care of the soul requires that we respect these apparently natural, if paradoxical, tendencies. If our dreams keep us attached to people we'd rather let go of, then we could take the lead of these dreams and ease up on our spirited desire for change, giving a place to our sometimes painful and disturbing memories. If we run simple-mindedly counter to these attachments, then we are in danger of losing a degree of soulfulness. Liberation acquired at the cost of soul's desire may prove to be a questionable achievement. Rather than coming up with new understandings and new and improved ways of doing things, the soul prefers to get what it can gradually, taking its nourishment from what is already present. Soul work, therefore, demands patience, and loyalty, virtues not in vogue in our fast-changing times. The soul asks that we live through our attachments, rather than try to make swift, clean breaks. It may seem wise at the end of a divorce, or when we've been fired from a job, to get the past behind us and start a new life. But the soul may need more reflection on that painful past and there may be untouched, fertile material in past events. Anyway, the soul may keep us tied to yesterday's dramas through tenacious memories and recurring dreams. The emotion of melancholy sometimes accompanies attachment. For centuries, melancholy has been seen as a characteristic mood of the soul. Melancholy may feel uncomfortable, even like a disease, but from the soul point of view, it is simply the motion of settling down into the folds of actual life. The past, too, often lies shrouded in a cloud of melancholy, an emotion that is as appropriate to memory as the musty odor of decay is to old furniture and buildings. 
We may not like the smell and patina of an antique, but without them a precious old object would seem incomplete and maybe even false. So it is with melancholy. We can learn to appreciate it as an emotional mustiness that signals the presence of soul. The soul wants to be attached, involved, and even stuck, because it is through such intimacies that it is nourished, initiated, and deepened. It would be a mistake to honor attachment as the only inclination of the soul in relationships. As strong as the yearning for attachment is, there is obviously something else in us that yearns for solitude, freedom, and detachment. One of the most beautiful of classical myths, the story of Daphne and Apollo, speaks to this theme. In the myth, Daphne is a lovely young woman who likes to run through the woods hunting. As Ovid says in his telling of the tale, she is a true daughter of Diana. She has no desire for relationship. But she attracts the attention of the great god Apollo, who immediately falls in love with her. He pursues her, but she runs away. This flight of the young nymph-like woman away from the great Apollo is the key image in the story and may help us gain insight into dreams of flight and those times in our lives when we find ourselves anxiously running away from attachment. Apollo tries to seduce Daphne away from her flight, telling her that he is not her enemy, that he has accomplished great things, and that he is no dunce. He can speak oracles.